Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day, and even though it's not really a church holiday technically, I thought maybe we'd do something a little special for, for the fathers at the beginning of the sermon, so I thought I'd reference a movie that most dads have probably seen. So there's a scene in the movie The Notebook. Where, just kidding. Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan is one of those movies that, if, if you haven't seen it, uh, it is worth the two and a half hours or however long uh, it is. And now, the movie's about 25 years old, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but it, it's, it's set in World War II, and spoiler alert, the United States wins. Um, but the, the, the main uh, kind of thrust of the story is this group of soldiers risking their lives to save uh, some, uh, one soldier to bring them home. And, and at, at the, the end of the movie, as, as many soldiers have given their lives uh, for the sake of, of this one soldier, the captain, in his last words, he looks this soldier in the eyes and he says two harrowing words earn this and the movie shifts scenes to the the present day where this uh, soldier is now an old man and he's at the grave of those who have died for him and those words earn this have followed him his entire life and so he turns his wife and pleads with her, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I lived a good life. You see, the call to earn this was not just a call to action. It was actually a burden that this man carried with him the rest of his life. Because he was constantly questioning, have I done enough? earn the sacrifice of these men who saved me. Now, we may not have the exact situation as that many of us in our, in our life where someone uh, you know, in, in our lives that we know actually dies for us. But we live in a world that operates on an earn this system. I mean, think about the phrase there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, why is that the case? It's because almost always we have something behind the scenes, even when we're doing something nice, it's for the sake of building up credit so that later we can ask for something we want and say, hey, remember that time I got, I got you lunch here? Or, or remember that time I, I, I did something nice for you and, and now I have something I need to ask for? I mean, it, I want someone in the, in the floral industry to do some research on this, but I'm pretty sure that the majority of flowers uh, are bought after someone has already been forgiven for something they've done. Forgiveness is offered, and yet what do we think we need to do? I, I, I need to earn that forgiveness. I, I, I'll pay you back. I promise I'll make it right. And so is that forgiveness really a gift in the first place if it has to be earned? See, we have this this desire, this kind of need, the social currency 
to earn whatever it is that we have. You have to earn forgiveness. I mean, we have a phrase, fallen from grace. Someone has fallen from grace. It means they're no longer in favor. And so how do you get back into grace once you've fallen from it? Well, you earn it. You, you, you put in the time, you do the service, you, you build up the trust, and then maybe, maybe you'll be back in society or in that person's good graces. You see, we don't actually really know. We think about grace all the time, but in our world, we don't really know what it means because we live in a world that is constantly about earning whatever it is that we have. And at the same time, we're constantly at risk to lose everything that we've worked for. Because a system that is based on earning stuff is not a system that actually lasts. And yet it's so natural for us. So why would God operate any differently? The rest of the world is based on this transactional earning economy, and so why would God operate any differently? The simple truth is that for most Americans, even American Christians, he doesn't. The American Christianity, by and large, we emphasize whatever we do for God. How do you know you're saved? Well, what's the most recent thing you've done? And if if I've been a good person, then that's fine. I mean, most American Christians have, have dedicated or rededicated their lives to Jesus many, many, many times. Because I thought I meant it the last time, but then I messed up. And so now I really mean it. And we have to really mean it if that is our source of hope and comfort. Pastor Kale mentioned last week about mo- most eulogies are simply about what a great person that, that the deceased was. I was talking with someone a few months ago after they lost a loved one and, and they shared with me and they said, if anyone is in heaven, it's them. Notice the doubt in that sentence. If anyone is in heaven. And the implication there was, well, she made it, but I'm not so sure about me. Because we assume God operates on a earn this scale. That I must have to, to do enough. And the question is, how much is enough? Do you ever know if you've done it? Do you ever know if, if that, that third or fourth baptism or rededication, if that's going to do it? If we're focused on earning our favor, earning our standing, earning our confidence before God, it's never enough. We never make it. And on the flip side, we can spend so much time then building up our own resume before God. Where where I've served, I've I've come uh, to church, I've done all these things, and so I, I end up spending my life creating this nice binder of good things that I've done, of ways that I've served, of good works, and I assume this will be enough. And actually, oftentimes, how we end up using the binder is, I've done all these things for the Lord. Look at all what I've sacrificed. Look what I've done. And the one time I ask for something, God, the one time after years of service, years of faithfulness, the one time I need something from you, you say, no. God, you owe me. 
what happens is when we think we have earned favor or blessing from God based on our works, we end up sounding an awful lot like the older son in the prodigal son parable from Luke 15. Father, you you didn't even sacrifice a young goat for me and my friends to celebrate, and yet when this son of yours returns, you slaughter the fattened calf. And that older son is just as lost as the younger one. See, when we think life is about crafting our own resume, our own binder of good works to earn favor, standing, blessing from God, we are just as lost as those that think they can't possibly come. God wouldn't possibly want them. And so what do we do? Well, rather than speaking for God, rather than, than, than basing the God that our culture has crafted and marketed, let's see what God himself says through the words of the Apostle Paul. Is Romans chapter 5. Paul is very clear about where we stand before God and the expectation that you cannot earn anything. Listen to how Paul talks about us in this section. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, verse 8, while we were still sinners, verse 10, for if while we were enemies verse 12 just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned we are enemies of God we are weak we are sinners we are dead What could we possibly earn from God? What could we possibly merit? How could we possibly have enough? Paul is very clear about it. You cannot earn the favor of God. And yet, the beautiful gospel in this is that at our worst moments, when we think no one could possibly want me Everyone would leave if they really found out what I was struggling out. If they really found out who I was. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news, is that you cannot earn it. At your very lowest moment, your, your, your very worst mistake, that's when Christ comes and dies for you. It means he's not surprised about it. He's not going to run away. He, he's not afraid of it. Your sin is not greater than that which he can forgive. That's grace. You don't have to earn it. And yet we hear this so often that sometimes it's it's hard to actually kind of visualize this, to to live this out. So I want to try to illustrate uh, this. This is uh, one of my favorite things to share at at funerals. And and so over your time here at Zion, you'll you'll probably hear this 
because I think it's helpful in, in wrapping our minds around uh, how, are we, how can we be confident in the face of death, in the face of loss, because it's not in how good a person they were, despite everything that the world and perhaps most of the people at the service will be saying. So, so let's imagine a courtroom scene where we're, you're on trial. God the Father is, is the judge and his perfect standard because a perfect God does not mix with any imperfect, rebellious sin. So we're on trial and, and Satan, the prosecutor, comes up and, you know, we, we can think, I, I, I'm ready. Right? I, I've got my binder. Here's all the good things that I've done. You know, he, here's, here's uh, what, you know, when I was... Uh, when I was first brought to church, here's my uh, mark for my, my Sunday school attendance. Here's some of the verses that I know mostly. Uh, you know, he, here, here's all these things that I've done. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I think I'm all right. And Satan gets up as the prosecutor and he begins entering in exhibits. And he's got transcripts of your sinful thoughts that you didn't even remember having. He's got uh, photos of you ignoring the needs of people around you. Videos of things you have said, ways you have lived that made yourself God, ignoring the, the commands of the Lord. And, and this continues on 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 for days until the, the evidence against you begins to fill the room. And after days of this, after the room is filled with this evidence, Satan goes, all right, you, you get the picture. And then he looks at you and says, you're mine. Good luck. And we look down at this binder of things that we've tried to do and we realize there's no way this can even outweigh the evidence against me, much less meet the standard of perfection that God has, has set. And so on our own, we're without hope. And that's when Jesus steps into the courtroom, or I like to think he kicks down the door and barges in the room and says, hold on, I'm going to be your defense attorney. So you hold out your binder and think maybe, maybe it's going to be like the fish in the loaves. He's going to actually multiply your good works. And yet he takes the binder, he sets it aside and says, no, this isn't for your salvation. These works are not to save you. These works are for your neighbor. And so Jesus stands up and he goes, Exhibit A. And he points to the markings in his hand where he was pierced for you on the cross while you were still a sinner. Because on the cross, Jesus knew every bit of evidence in that room. And he still chose to hang on that cross carrying that for you. Exhibit B pointed to his side where he was pierced to prove that he was dead. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And then exhibit C. He pointed to his body that he was dead, but is now alive. He is risen. 
And Satan begins to object. Relevancy. Jesus isn't on, isn't on trial. You are. Jesus says, Father, not only is it relevant, it's the, only, it, it's the most relevant thing of all. In fact, it's the only thing that matters. See, I died for you in the waters of baptism. You were brought into my family. You were brought into my death and resurrection. I know you. And with that, all of Satan's evidence, all of your sins, your failure, rebellion, begins to disappear. Until the only evidence left is that of the resurrected Christ. And your heavenly Father looks at you through Christ and says, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. That's grace. You can't earn it. You don't have to. You see, the aftermath of, of this forgiveness, of this trial, is not, okay, now, now, now go earn this. Go make sure you're worthy of the sacrifice of the Son of God. No, Paul doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. The Bible never says that. Christianity is not about earning this. What God invites us to is not to earn grace, but to share it. See, that's what, I mean, the Reformation 500 years ago, refocusing on the grace of God instead of earning it. We are saved by grace alone. That's what it's all about. But it's not just a, a ticket that we keep in our back pocket for the last day. God invites you and me to live grace alone. See, what does it look like to, to live that we are saved by grace alone? Well, it looks like confidence in our standing before God. Because we don't look at, well, what have I done recently? Was I really serious about, about, about my dedication? We look to the works of Christ. We look to the water in the font where God promised He claimed us, He marked us, He washed us. We look to, to His supper. We look to His, His real presence in His body. But we look to His gifts and we know for certain how we stand before God because of what is He has said, not because of what we have done. Living grace alone looks like being generous and quick to forgive. Because when we realize all that Christ has forgiven for us, we can't help but share that grace. Not because people can earn it. Not because they're going to get us flowers afterwards. They're going to pay it back for us. Not so that we can save that and pull it back up whenever we make a mistake so that we seem less bad. But to forgive freely and fully as God has done for you in Jesus Christ. To live grace alone looks like not counting people out. Not counting people out of the grace of God. So often we look at someone that, that we've, we've reached out to, we've tried to invite, and we think, it's never going to work. They're never going to come to church. They're never going to come back. They're never going to believe. They're never going to change. 
and yet we have a God who takes enemies and makes them children. We have a God who takes those who are stained and makes them, makes them clean. We have a God who takes the, the, the dead and makes them alive. What are we talking about never? How about never underestimate the grace of God? Never underestimate what God can do. Never make a decision for God that He can't use you. He can't change someone. How about just share His grace and see what He does? And finally, to live life saved by grace alone. It looks like having God's grace as the priority in our lives. It's the most important thing that we can share. It's the most important thing that we can live. It's the most important thing that we can pass on to the next generation. You don't have to earn your identity, your value, your standing before God or in this world. It is given to you in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. And so fathers, I want to encourage you greatest thing that you can do for your family, the greatest way that you can lead, you can serve, you can share, isn't passing on a skill or a hobby or or a, a devotion to a particular sports team or a particular activity. The one thing that matters at the end of the day is the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And so the one thing that matters, the thing that matters the most every day to share that grace. And so, dads, be quick to forgive in your homes. Be the first to confess your sins, to receive forgiveness. Pray for your family. Lead them through the Word. Get involved in a Bible study. Take steps in the calling of the spiritual leader that God has called you to be, knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly. We're called not to be perfect, but to be faithful. And when we live life focused on grace alone, it's how we live, it's what we share, it's how we forgive others. We stand out in a world that is all about earning things. So I want to share with you some perhaps unfamiliar words from uh, Martin Luther. We know about the 95 Theses that he wrote. We know about the, the small catechism. Uh, but in between those, there was actually a, a formational document that he wrote at the very beginning of the Reformation that, that kind of summarized the teachings of the Christian faith. It was at a, a town called Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Disputation. And here's a Thesis 26. Uh, one, of, one of the last ones in the Heidelberg Disputation. Here's what he says. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift given to you by Jesus. That's grace. That's why it's called amazing grace. In the name of Jesus.
Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until He calls you home.